So today, nearing the end of chapter 1, chapter 1, verses 47 to 49, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael said to them, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. These are the words of the Lord, and thanks be to God for them. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. Sovereign Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sacred word, recorded and kept and preserved for time immemorial and into eternity. We thank you for this very important brother from our past, Nathaniel, who came with sincere and true motives to seek you and to seek your Messiah. And you are the one who always welcomes and loves and welcomes him with open arms those who with honest and pure motives seek after you and your truth. Thank you for this incident so faithfully recorded by John, who was present. And thank you for this truth, how it can apply to the lives of each and every one of us as we receive the gospel, as we receive this truth, and come to Jesus to be welcomed. Help everyone who is watching and listening to have the forthrightness of Nathaniel to seek after you and your truth and your Messiah and the salvation that he came to bring. Bless the proclamation of this, your word. We pray for everyone who has been mentioned formerly on our prayer request list. We pray for everyone watching and listening, for their trials, for their difficulties, for their circumstances and situations. Reveal yourself to them, sovereign God, through every situation and circumstance they face, those here at home and the world over. We pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, particularly at this time in Africa. Work your will, O sovereign God. Spread your kingdom in the spite of what it appears to be human tragedy. And in spite of all the raging and raving of the evil one, we know that you do triumph over him. You do triumph over them. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Ultimately, on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that this shall come to pass. Everything that is said and done this morning, we dedicate to you, O sovereign God, Father, Son, and Spirit, for the proclamation of your gospel of salvation and for the spreading of your kingdom. Let everything that is said and done here bring praise and honor and glory to you, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. And so may the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I suppose you can entitle chapter 1, verses 47 to 49, uh, this message in particular. I gave it the title, which is actually a quote from Nathaniel. The magnificent things that this man says in an inspired confession concerning Jesus. Identifying Jesus quite accurately as the Son of God, the King of Israel. Notice an interesting thing happens in this passage in the day that Nathanael meets his God, his Messiah in the flesh face to face. Jesus gives a breathtakingly, actually supernatural, supernaturally accurate assessment of Nathanael. And the presence of the Son of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God inspires Nathaniel to make an accurate assessment of who the rabbi from Nazareth truly is. So in today's text, we again focus on the disciple Nathaniel. Many Bible scholars believe this is the same disciple or apostle from the other Gospels who is referred to as Bartholomew. 
He's being brought to Jesus by the new disciple, Philip, whom we focused on in the last passage we studied. And this passage, uh, Jesus' first encounter with Nathaniel, we will cover that this week and next time, and that will conclude uh, chapter 1. It really is something of an extraordinary passage for what it tells us about Jesus, his person and his work, his divine attributes, which are on display in this passage. It's also an extraordinary passage for what Nathaniel says is inspired to say about Jesus. It's a, quite an extraordinary passage for what Jesus says about himself. Jesus mentions something that he's going to do, something that he's going to offer. Something that he offers to Philip, to Nathaniel, arguably something that all believers in time will come to witness. It really is a wonderful incident recorded here by John, with uh, perhaps more here than what may meet the eye in a first or initial reader reading from uh, or by way of an English-speaking person or an English-speaking reader. So as is our customary fashion, let's dig a little bit deeper. Uh, verse by verse, to see what's really going on here and what's being declared concerning Jesus, the Word made flesh. Verse 47 again, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, Edu, look there, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. Or allow me to offer you this translation as well. When I uh, offer you another translation as well, uh, I want to reiterate the fact that it is a faithful word-for-word -word equivalent translation from the original Greek. Usually the Bible that I use in the pulpit on Sunday mornings is the New American Standard Bible, an excellent English translation. Sometimes I will offer you uh, another Greek translation from a commentary, from a, another Greek uh, Bible scholar. A lot of really excellent commentaries are written by theologians who know New Testament Greek very well, and they offer you their own translation their own faithful word-for-word -word equivalent translation from the text. Allow me to offer you this one as well. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, and he said of him, Look there, truly, here is an Israelite in whom deceit is not to be found, or in whom deceit does not exist. So as Philip, and more importantly Nathanael, Philip is now, if you remember from a week or so ago, Philip is bringing his friend Nathanael to Jesus. And as they approach, in particular, as Nathanael is approaching Jesus, probably some yards away, that's the impression we're given here, Jesus sees him. He sees them approaching. And apparently Jesus raises his voice, makes this rather startling declaration about this man, about Nathanael, this man approaching him. And obviously he says so loud enough for Nathanael, Philip, and everybody else standing around to hear this. And this is a face value. It's an extraordinary thing to say for somebody whom everyone would think you've just laid eyes on for the very first time. And it's also quite the compliment, isn't it? First of all, whenever someone is praised by God or by our Lord in sacred scripture, when their character or their integrity or their personality is praised, pay attention. That is a person to look up to. Yes, that is a person that we can call a role model. This is a person whom we are to emulate. Nathaniel is a man at face value to emulate. He is something of a role model for us. Obviously, because what of the word made, the word made flesh declares about this man. And don't you get the impression that Jesus is absolutely delighted to see Nathaniel? He's delighted to see him. He is welcoming him in with open arms, as we say. 
And then Jesus does this extraordinary thing. Having, as one would think, never seen this man before. He makes, pardon me for an American slang expression, as we would say here, a spot-on accurate assessment of Nathaniel's personality and character. What I mean by that is a 100% through and through, completely accurate assessment of Nathaniel's character. It's an amazing thing that's happening when you really think about it. And it is also quite the compliment. First of all, Nathaniel, well, what Jesus is saying about him, first of all, we believe, is that Nathaniel is an honest seeker after God. He's an honest man, yes, but he's honest before God. He's honest with his dealings with other people, yes, but he is honest with God. Very important lesson there, life lesson. He is an honest seeker after God. Allow me to use that word seeker. That is a word that's been bandied about in American Christianity culture, and it is much abused. I mean a genuine seeker, an honest seeker. Someone who doesn't have ulterior motives or selfish motives or duplicitous motives. Jesus has just announced that this man has pure motives, honest motives. He is a true seeker after God and God's truth. This man is probably not just a thrill seeker. Remember, Jesus is saying this in the vicinity of where John the baptizer is still preaching and baptizing. There's probably large crowds milling around there still. And a lot of these folks are not coming to see this man who the baptizer said is a Messiah. They're not coming to hear the baptizer's preaching or teaching out of pure motives. A lot of them are just thrill seekers, curiosity seekers. Nathaniel's a true seeker after God and God's truth. I think Jesus is saying that Nathaniel really wants to know God. He really wants to know the God of ancient Israel. He really wants to know the God of the sacred Hebrew Scriptures. He wants to know the God proclaimed by John the Baptist. He wants to know the Messiah of John the Baptist, who John the Baptizer has been preparing for, and John the Baptizer now says he's here. He has arrived. Nathaniel truly wants to know. He really wants to know who this rabbi from Nazareth is that his friend Philip has been telling him about. The Messiah? Really? Truly? And at this point, very important point, Jesus will always welcome such people. That's one of the lessons we should learn from this text. Jesus is declaring this man to be an upright man in whom there is no deceit. Is that so with us? If Jesus of Nazareth was to greet us in the flesh, would he greet us with such a compliment? And in such a manner? Jesus will always welcome true seekers after God with pure motives. He delights in honest, genuine seekers after God in God's truth. He will and He does meet and welcome such people. That's the point. He did 20 centuries ago, and He will now. And He does now. And notice, Jesus calls out Nathaniel as being alethos israelites, as recorded in Koine Greek. Now, this is usually translated in one, two, three different ways in different English translations. Alethos Israelites. This truly, this Israelite, truly, this Israelite man is something truly. Let me first of all begin with what he isn't saying and then what he, what he does mean here. He's, uh, Jesus is not saying that Nathaniel is a true Israelite, as in he is an authentic or genuine Jewish man ethnically. Well, that's obvious, isn't it? He is an authentic, genuine Jewish man ethnically. That's not what Jesus is saying. As in, a, truly, he's an Israelite. He's an Israelite indeed. No, what Jesus means is this. 
Jesus is saying that Nathanael is a particular kind of Israelite, truly. Jesus is saying that Nathanael is a particular kind or type of Jewish man, authentically or truly. That's what he means. Nathanael is a certain, a particular kind of man who happens to be a Jew, an Israelite. After all, you have to understand at this time in the first century, Palestinian Jews, well, they often referred to one another as Israelites. They did this all the time, all, as a, out of a sense of uh, simple patriotism, out of a sense of, of loyalty to their ancestors and to the God of their ancestors, and out of loyalty to God's covenant with their ancestors. Jesus' point is not that Nathaniel is a Jew, is an Israelite, that's obvious. Jesus' point, again, is that this man is a certain kind of Israelite, truly, genuinely, and authentically. Here's a very important point. Well, Nathaniel would strike, what would we say today in 2021? Nathaniel's a good man. What you see is what you get with Nathaniel. This man is frank, forthright, open, honest. He doesn't hide anything. Pretty honest, open man. Good way to be, a commendable way to be, obviously, of course. But Jesus' point is, Jesus is saying that this man, Nathaniel, is the type of man that all Israelite men should be. Look there. Now there is a Jew in whom all Jewish people should be like him. All Jewish men and women, all true sons and daughters of Abraham who are Israelites should be like that man, Nathaniel. What are we? Again, would he say the same thing about us? Jesus is saying that this man, Nathaniel, is a person in whom truly there is no deceit. There is no guile. There are no duplicitous motives. That's an extraordinary person. By the way, um, I believe this is the only place in the Gospel of John where this term Israelite occurs. And it's interesting. It's used by Jesus. Here at the beginning of the gospel regarding this fisherman from Galilee, Nathaniel. Now, there may be something else that Jesus is saying here. Some theologians throughout the years have thought that uh, perhaps this statement of Jesus is not only a compliment to Nathaniel. It's nothing less than that. It's most certainly a compliment to Nathaniel. But Jesus might be saying something else in this compliment to Nathaniel. Perhaps also this remark by Jesus is an implied indictment of that generation. In other words, Jesus may be saying something that a really honest, a really sincere man, a really sincere and honest and forthright Israelite seeking after God with no duplicity has become such an exception that look there. Now there, I tell you, is truly an Israelite in whom deceit is not to be found. Such a man is a rare thing these days. That may be part of Jesus' remark as well. Now the word guile, let's pick this apart a little bit. I don't know, what, we have probably several different English translations in the room. Traditionally, from the original Greek, this word is translated as guile. The word in Koine Greek is dolos, D-O-L-O-S. And dolos is a very interesting word choice. This word choice on Jesus' part, as John records, dolos, guile, it may be something of a deliberate play on words here. This is Jesus' brilliant wit at work. He is saying something very important, but we believe he, yes, the Lord does have a sense of humor. 
And he is making something of a play on words here. Now let me bring this uh, to your attention again. Jesus probably spoke fluently in Koine Greek, the language in which the New Testament is written, the commercial language of the Roman Empire at this time, as well as speaking that mixture of Aramaic and Old Hebrew. In fact, uh, historians, scholars now believe that most folks from most walks of life in the first century in the Roman provinces of Palestine probably spoke a smattering of Koine Greek simply by virtue of the fact that they had to get along as Roman subjects in a Roman province, and that Greek was the commercial language of the empire. Yes, even blue-collar, workaday, rural fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. We think most folks could get a, understand a smattering of the Koine Greek. Probably the apostles spoke it as well, and we believe Jesus probably spoke it fluently, as well as Aramaic. So I believe many times when he's speaking to these men, and in particular when he's speaking to crowds, it is more than a distinct possibility that Jesus may have spoke his teachings in Aramaic to the native folks, pardon that expression, but then he also probably turned right around and may have repeated it all in Koine Greek for the benefit of the crowd as well. But this is an interesting word choice, dolos, which we traditionally translate as guile, and I think you'll appreciate this when I explain it. In the first century A.D., the word dolos can mean guile or deceit. And interestingly enough, this word was often used for a person setting a trap, a person setting a snare. As a matter of fact, it was a word that was often used to describe fishermen setting bait, setting a trap, setting a net, setting a snare to catch fish. Do you see what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying this. He's using this word too in, in front of fishermen. He has a sense of humor. He's making a play on words here. He is speaking to these fishermen in their own language, in their own terms that they can relate to and that they can understand. Folks, this is He who is the Word made flesh and dwelling amongst us at work. God took upon Himself a human body and a human nature to perform the work of salvation and so that human beings could relate to Him. And He could deal with human beings as a human being. And He could walk amongst us, pitch His tent amongst us, as the prologue says, live amongst us and speak to us in our own terms, in our own language, meet us on common ground. How is that for the graciousness of the Word made flesh? Almighty God, to condescend to meet with His human creatures in such a way. He speaks 20 centuries ago to these people, and He still speaks. And He continues to speak so to true and honest seekers after God. And again, as for Nathaniel, well, <laughs> we may cringe a little bit at what he said about Nazareth a week or so ago. Nazareth? Out of Nazareth, can any good thing come? Well, he may be a bit blunt, but he is honest and he is open, isn't he? And he does, to his credit, he takes up Philip's challenge to go and see this rabbi from Nazareth for himself. And he has, again, important, sincere motives in doing so. He will go check out for himself 
These claims made about Jesus by John the baptizer and by his friends from Galilee. He wants the truth truly. How is that for you? You want the truth truly? You're hearing it. In spite of the faults and frailties of a flawed messenger, you are receiving the truth. Here and now. He is speaking to you here and now by way of His blessed and sacred and recorded and preserved Word. This man is seeking the truth truly, and he will be given the truth. Seek the truth, Jesus says elsewhere, and the truth will set you free. Jesus always welcomes those whose motives are sincere in truly pursuing and seeking the truth. Lesson, yes, absolutely. If you are a plain, honest, straightforward seeker after God, after the truth, just like Nathaniel, the Word made flesh will welcome you. He will be delighted with you. Nathaniel, I believe he's a man who knows his Bible well. I hope that I explained that to you clearly enough the last time that we encountered Nathaniel in the text. Rural, blue-collar fisherman that he is, one of the ways in which we can commend him, I believe this man is a man who knows the ancient Jewish Scriptures, the Old Testament. That's highly commendable as well. And Nathaniel is living up to the standards of behavior of sacred Scripture. Psalm 32, verse 2, describes Nathaniel. Psalm 32, verse 2 states, Blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no deceit. Jesus has just proclaimed this man to be so. And yes, I do believe this man knows his Bible. He goes after Nazareth because I think he knows his Bible saying, well, the Messiah is supposed to be born in the city of, of David in Bethlehem. He's not born in Nazareth. That can't be. I better check this out for myself. Do we know our scriptures as Nathaniel knows his scriptures? Absolutely indispensable in seeking and finding the truth. And he who is the personification and the source of all truth. Verse 48. Nathanael said to him, uh, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under that fig tree, I saw you. It's a magnificent verse. And there's more here than meets the eye. There is much that really is wonderful here. First of all, Nathanael says to him, How do you know me? How do you know me? How do you know this? Who are you? What are you that you know me like this? It's an extraordinary greeting. And Nathaniel's obviously astonished. He's shocked. He should be, understandably so. And probably everyone standing about listening and, and witnessing this also. Jesus' summary description, again, it's absolutely 100% accurate. Jesus perfectly hit the mark. Concerning what kind of person this man is. How is that? How is that? How did he do this? Jesus knows all about this man. As we say, he knows this man inside and out. Backwards and forwards. He knows him down deep. He knows this man at his very core. His very core character is a person. How is that? How is that from a human point of view? How does a human being accomplish such things? How does a human being have such abilities as that? From the human point of view, this Jesus had never met Nathaniel. He had never set eyes on him before this day. He'd never seen him, never heard him, never spent time with him. Jesus had not heard all about Nathaniel by way of his friends and his family, extended friends and family, etc., etc. 
How is this? Jesus is manifesting what we might call, dare I say, supernatural knowledge. I think you're seeing the miraculous happen here. A lot of people say quite so, according to John, that the first great public display of the miraculous or the supernatural in Jesus is coming up in chapter 2, the wedding at Cana, which John calls the first of the signs, a simeon, a living signpost pointing to who this Jesus really is and what he really came to do. But folks, you are encountering the supernatural and the miraculous right here in Jesus' greeting and assessment with Nathaniel. This is his true identity as the Word made flesh being put upon display, folks. This is Jesus displaying the divine attribute of omniscience. This is how Jesus knows this man deep down in his core. Jesus is the Word made flesh, the divine Word made flesh. He who is in the beginning with God, He who is with God, and He who is God, God the Son, the one and only unique Son of the Father who is one with the Father. Only God, the being of God, can possess omniscience, which is the attribute of possessing all knowledge known and all knowledge possibly to be known. This is what Jesus is manifesting here. This is what's happening here. So honest, open Nathaniel simply and honestly reacts to this incredible thing. He bursts forth with this type of incredulous question, doesn't he? How do you know me? By the way, Nathaniel's reply, his question is not one of pride. Nathaniel's not saying, oh yes, well how good of you to recognize my honesty and my forthrightness as an Israelite. No, get that out of your heads entirely, as the Irish would say. There, there is no pride whatsoever in Nathaniel's answer. He, he's, he's completely taken aback. He's completely abashed. He's completely shocked here. Do you, and examine what's happening here carefully. When you do so, you see something. Nathaniel's reaction to Jesus proves the point of what Jesus just said about him. Think about it. A person who had guile, a person who was guileful, would probably have puffed themselves up with false conceit or false modesty and given some sort of affected or disingenuous prideful answer, but not Nathaniel. That's not what happens here. He had always tried very hard, as Jesus said, to be an honest, open, sincere person. And because he really had no guile, he reacts this way, just as Jesus accurately stated. So he simply, Nathaniel that is, he simply accepts and responds to this incredible message, the incredible accuracy of what Jesus just said about him. He's shocked, understandably so. And so he simply blurts out to Jesus, How do you know me? This is a very profound moment here. All right, as we often say, put yourself in this man's place. Now think of this as if for the first time you're reading this. What if this happened to you? Now yes, there, there are suspicions that this man is the Messiah, the most important figure, the great prophesied hero of God who has come to repair the fortunes of the Jewish people, this world, and the human race in general, if you really know what to look for and read for in the Old Testament. So there is that. But then you come up to some man who has never laid eyes on you before, as far as you know and you are concerned, and he takes one look at you, 
and he sizes you up to the core of your being with absolute accuracy. He knows you as well or better than any of your friends and family know you. He knows you just as well as you know yourself. Wouldn't that be a very disturbing thing? That's what's really happening here. How do you know me? Who and what are you that you can do this? Allow me to offer a suggestion. Who can do this? God? The Word made flesh? Let me remind you folks, and I'll remind you all the way through this Gospel, everything that you see and hear about Jesus in this Gospel, you must see through the lens of the truth in the prologue. That's why the prologue is the prologue. The prologue to the Gospel. The divinity of Jesus Christ clearly established and proclaimed in the prologue. You must view everything in the remainder of this gospel that you see and hear about Jesus and from Jesus through the lens of the truth that we unpacked in the prologue. He is the divine word made flesh. Of course he possesses this knowledge and this ability to look down deep into this man and assess him accurately as a person. By the way, a little bit of a comforting and perhaps uncomfortable truth. He does the same thing with you. He does the same thing with me. And His Spirit reminds me of this a lot. And a lot of times it's uncomfortable. But He does so for our ultimate good in the end. Everyone there must have thought, <laughs> if this man is the Messiah, then the power of God is oh so much greater in him than anything that we had ever imagined. Honest, open Nathaniel just wants to know how this rabbi from Nazareth, very likely the Messiah, as a few have said now, how in the world does he possess such knowledge? Well, now Jesus is going to go further. Jesus will really say something even more incredible, revealing who he is. Jesus will now prove that he did not, that he gained this knowledge about Nathaniel, that he possesses this knowledge about Nathaniel through absolutely no human agency whatsoever, by way of no human aid or ability. Jesus then goes a good deal further by answering Nathanael's question with, as John records, Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under that fig tree, I saw you. Allow me to offer this translation as well for the benefit of an English-speaking person. I saw you while you were still under that fig tree before Philip called you. Do you see what he's saying? Let me help you with this. Nathaniel must have been utterly dumbfounded by now. Oh, this is more than he could have imagined. This is how penetrating the eye of his new teacher is. This is how penetrating how comprehensive the reach and the presence of the actual Messiah is. Jesus is now manifesting another divine attribute. Jesus is now manifesting or putting on display the divine ab uh, attribute of omnipresence. I believe, as well as omniscience. Some stay with omniscience. I know you deep down inside, who you are as a person, and I also know where you were before Philip called you. 
Yes, I won't argue with that, but I will go further. I believe Jesus is actually manifesting the attribute not only of omniscience, all knowledge known and possibly known, he's also manifesting the attribute of omnipresence, the God who is everywhere, ever-present, everywhere in this universe, this created universe and beyond. There is no place where the sovereign God is not. Now think of how enormous this is. Jesus, who, the God the Son, the Word made flesh, who took upon Himself a human body and a human nature. He is there in real time, in real space, in the first century A.D., in a human body, occupying real space, speaking to Nathaniel, and yet at the same time, in His deity, in His divinity, as God the Son, the Word made flesh, He is everywhere. And He says to Nathaniel, He didn't say, Oh, I knew you were there. He didn't say that, did He? He said, I saw you there. Right? That suggests a close proximity, a physical proximity, or in this case, a close personal spiritual proximity. I saw you, Shelley. That suggests I was there with Shelley, somewhere near her to see her. I think that's what Jesus is saying. I was there with you. You didn't think anybody was there. In the flesh, no one else was there with you, Philip. I was there. I saw you before Philip came running up and calling your name to bring you to me. Now think about that. That is enormous. That is incredible. And we often don't give this passage the attention to really think about what's happening here, about what Jesus is really saying here. He is the omniscient and omnipresent God in the flesh. Let me unpack a little bit more to fully understand. I think the point is worth driving home. Jesus is saying He has the ability to enter into what theologian William Hendrickson calls in his commentary, to enter into even the inner sanctuary of Nathaniel's inner personal devotions before God under that fig tree. Thank you, Brother William Henderson. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely what Jesus is saying. You see, Nathaniel was a man who was seeking God truly. Jesus said that. Jesus, uh, Nathaniel was a man who knows his scriptures. Now, to truly appreciate a little more what's happening here, let me take you back to the Old Testament. And then let me take you back to the culture of the Jews of the first century A.D. In the Old Testament, you may or may not be aware of the symbolism of the fig tree in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, the fig tree was not only a potentially powerful and potent symbol to the Jews, it was also an important symbol to numerous cultures in ancient times in the Mediterranean world. But in the Old Testament, the fig tree was a symbol of one's true home, one's, a place where one could truly peacefully call a permanent home. In time, the fig tree came to mean a place where one can meet with God. The fig tree came to mean a symbol for a prosperous relationship with God. Are you putting this together? Nathaniel knew this. Nathaniel has a particular fig tree where Nathaniel would often go to to be alone with God. A place known only to him and known only to God. Now rabbis in the first century A.D., because of the symbolism of the fig tree in the Old Testament, rabbis at this time 
taught their people that the fig tree was a particularly special place to seek out for meditation and prayer. Rabbis encouraged their people to go find a fig tree just like that one. That is a fig tree in Israel. That is the type of tree that Nathaniel went somewhere where he could completely be alone with God. That's the point. Nathaniel knows this. That's why he seeks this place, just such a place, a fig tree, known only to him, to meet with God there. So have you put this together? Do you see what Jesus is really saying here? That place known only to you, Nathaniel, that place where you go to meet with God, Nathaniel, I saw you there. I was there with you. Jesus is saying He is the God who sees and meets with Nathaniel under that private fig tree known only to God and to Nathaniel. Jesus is saying, I saw you searching for God, Nathaniel. I saw you searching for His truth under that fig tree, that special place where you seek after God, Nathaniel. You need to look no further. I'm here. The God that you seek under that fig tree is here. In the flesh. God's truth that you seek. The presence of God that you crave for. I'm here. And I am here for you. And He is saying exactly the same thing to all of us. He is saying exactly the same thing to everyone who sees, who hears, who reads, who partakes of this Gospel. The God that you should be seeking. The God that you crave. The God that you want to go away somewhere in private and be alone with. I'm here. And I'm here for you. Look no further. The Word made flesh has arrived. That's what's happening in this magnificent event. Verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Magnificent thing is happening here. Nathanael is obviously deeply moved, isn't he? He's deeply shaken. He is totally convinced at the very least by these manifested abilities. That at the very least, this rabbi from Nazareth, he must be the prophesied long-expected Messiah. Now, has he fully embraced the fact of Jesus' deity as given to us in the prologue? No, probably not completely. How could he? This is just such an overwhelming reality that we all have to deal with the reality of the deity of Jesus, the Word made flesh. So we cannot say here for certain, but most certainly, with certainty, Nathaniel is on his way to grasping and to making that amazing realization. And so Nathaniel ascribes some very wonderful and lofty titles to Jesus, doesn't he? That's what we'll close with this morning. These are some of the loftiest and grandest and most important titles given to Jesus in the Gospels and in the New Testament. And here on the first encounter that this man has, with Jesus this early on in their association. These lofty titles he gives to Jesus, wouldn't you say are a trifle loftier or grander than what any other disciple would normally assign to their rabbinical teacher? Teacher, yes, he begins with that. He is that and so much more. Rabbi, teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel or the Messiah. 
So clearly Nathanael is convinced that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the promised, anointed, prophesied one, the one to whom all God's ancient scriptures had borne witness to. But these titles Nathanael chooses and uses tell us even a little more. Allow me to quote Dr. Hendrickson again. He writes, and this is a great point that he makes. Folks try to denigrate or excuse away not what Nathaniel says here. There is no excusing or ex trying to explain away what he says here. Good Dr. Hendrickson writes, The context of this passage absolutely forbids us to tone down the meaning of this confession. To Nathaniel, at the moment he uttered this exclamation, Jesus was nothing less than God's own Son in the loftiest way that you can interpret that phrase, God's own Son. In other words, he is quoting John's prologue. Jesus is the monogonos, the one and only true, unique Son of the Father, who is one with the Father. And so we believe that Nathaniel is giving this blazing, brilliant realization by being inspired by God the Son Himself in the flesh, but also, I would say, plenty of help from the third person of the Trinity. The inspiration and power and presence of the Holy Spirit of God who is there present as well. You see, Nathaniel's given true insight in this moment as to Jesus' true identity. It's an inspired confession. According to the Apostle John, this early on, with Nathaniel, well, will Nathaniel and the other disciples struggle with this? Oh, yes, they will, most certainly. Will they learn more? Oh, yes, absolutely they will. Will Jesus' true identity and His mission become even clearer to them? Will it come into greater focus for them? Oh yes, absolutely, have no doubt. Over the next three, three and a half years, all the way through Jesus' crucifixion, all the way through His resurrection, to the day of His ascension and beyond, to the day of Pentecost, 40 days after the ascension, when the Holy Spirit of God will come upon the people of God in a fresh and profound new way like never before. And everything about the Son of God and His person and His mission will be crystal clear to them on the day of Pentecost. But we can say this. Nathaniel is on his way. Thank God he is on his way. Are you? Are you on your way with the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel? Nathaniel is on his way with his Messiah, with his Lord, the Word who became flesh. Nathaniel, for himself and for our benefit, is speaking, oh, so much more than he knew at that moment, possibly. But he knows that this rabbi from Nazareth is the Messiah and that the power and presence of Almighty God is on and in this man in a way that Nathaniel could not have possibly imagined. Certainly hasn't ever encountered before. Nathaniel's declaring one of life's most important truths with which we will all be confronted, and we're being confronted with it right now. If Jesus is nothing less here than God's own unique Son, the monogamous from the prologue, then how can He not be the Messiah? The great hero, the great subject of the Old Testament Scriptures, the great prophesied one who was to arrive. And yes, I'll use the expression, save the day, ultimately and once and for all the great expected king of Israel, the great expected king of all of God's people, the one promised to restore the hapless state of fallen sinful human beings, alienated from the Creator God. 
What Nathaniel speaks here, yes, it's an inspired confession of faith. How's your inspired confession of faith coming along? By the way, in Nathaniel's words, John is confronting us. John is confronting us in this gospel with Nathaniel's words. He's confronting us with this. Do you realize what Nathaniel realized? Are you coming to the conclusion that Nathaniel came to? Or do you believe this confession that Nathaniel has made? Are you standing along with Nathaniel? Is this the way it is with you concerning Jesus, the Word made flesh? One last detail, but it's an important one. One last point. It's very important. Notice that Jesus greeted Nathaniel as an, a what? An Israelite. Look there. An Israelite. An Israelite man of the nation of Israel. So when Nathanael declares Jesus to be the Messiah, he declares him to be the king of Israel. The king of Israelites. Are you putting it together? Nathanael is declaring Jesus to be his king. Have we done that? Nathanael is personally pledging his personal loyalty, his personal allegiance and submission to Jesus as his king. Have we? Have you? That's what John is confronting you with right now. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the King of all kings, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank You for this wonderful and blessed encounter of our brother Nathaniel with God the Son made flesh, one with the Father, the great King of Israel, the great hero who is to come to save us from ourselves and from the evil one and from an evil world. Thank you for all of the truth that is contained in this passage, telling us who Jesus really is, what he does, how he operates, how he deals with us, how he wishes to deal with us, and what he offers to us not only to this blessed fisherman from 20 centuries ago, but all of us. Bless these words, your message, as it goes out, that it will bear fruit in the hearts and minds and souls of many. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.